Erie clan is here, and I absolutely adore listening to them singing that song. Listening to their voices screaming out as loud as they can the lyrics of that song brings me to tears every single time. So we're going to go in audible. Nathan, while you read this scripture, the kids are dismissed. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. You know, as a kid, there was a particular show that I used to really enjoy, and um, it was a special treat for me to get to watch a show anyway, because we didn't, I didn't grow up in a house that had a television, and so whenever I was going to watch TV, it was either at Grandma's house, or uh, occasionally my mom would let me go over to my friend Gary's house, and so something as simple as watching a show was a really big deal to me, and this one particular show that I used to really enjoy, well, one of the things that they did, they employed very masterfully the idea of a cliffhanger. And you're familiar with a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger is when you get the, 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 uh, the climax going, you get everything, the tension is built up, some dramatic situation is there, and, and they leave you there for just a moment. Of course, back in those days, there were these things called commercials. And so you had a couple of times during an episode that you would have a commercial break, and they would always ramp it up to the edge of a cliffhanger, and then they would go to a commercial break, and they would bring you back with a rejoin. It would be something along the lines of, when last we left, our hero was precariously hanging off the edge of a cliff because sometimes cliffhangers are really literally cliffs. But you have this idea of this built-up tension and this, uh, this desire to know what's going to happen next. Each episode would actually not really end, but it would just kind of leave in some terrible position with the, the hero tied up in ropes inside a shed that was burning and the flames are licking across the floor and getting closer and closer and the, the uh, narrator would bust in and say, well... Will our hero be able to get out of this knot or not? And we always thought those were great lines, and now looking back on them, how incredibly cheesy that was. But the love of the cliffhanger, the love of the cliffhanger is something that's held with me and, and really uh, resonated with me for my entire life. I still enjoy it today. But I attribute at least part of my love for the topic we're going to be talking about today with my love of the cliffhanger and a woman whose name I wish desperately that I knew. I was in um, third grade or fourth grade, I think I was in third grade, in the Wednesday night Bible class at the uh, Wood River, Illinois Church of Christ, where we were members at the time, and I had a masterful teacher, a storyteller that was just unprecedented, her ability to just bring us into a story and hold us captivated, and the subject that she taught on that quarter were the forefathers, our forefathers in the Old Testament, the subject that we're preaching on this series of lessons, as we look at Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, and that was her class, and that was the subject that she was teaching us, and, and how wonderfully she would week after week engage us in this story, and she never failed to bring it up to some very important point in the story that had us on the edge of our seats, and she'd say, we'll pick it up from there next week. Oh, we would all just say, you got to be kidding me, you can't leave us hanging here, it was 
She did a wonderful job. I think ever since then, I've been a fan of the forefathers. And I've also been a fan of really, really good Bible class teachers who make such a difference in the lives of our children. And so let me say to all of you who serve in those roles, how much we appreciate and love the work you do. And we, as adults, benefit from it. Years and years later, even if we don't remember your name, and we can't come back to you and tell you that we remember what you did for us. The Four Fathers and the Four Fathers. Our lesson series is talking about just that. It's the stories and the lessons that we can take from the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These great men of the Old Testament and the value that they have for our lives today. Today we're going to start in an unusual place because we're going to start and talking about one of the great universal enemies that we all have. If you talk about universal enemies of humanity, there are some things that we can all agree on. Um, death is a universal enemy of all humanity. Um, Satan is a universal enemy of all humanity. Uh, tax, well, we won't get into that one. We could say that um, sin is a universal enemy of all humanity. There are just things that no matter where we are on this planet, we all share an aversion for, a hatred of, an enmity towards. You know, one of the things that we all share as an enemy is time. We all share the enemy of time. Let's talk a little bit about how it is that enemy, that time is our enemy. The ticking of time is a resolute and methodical plotting course towards something that we fear greatly, death. Time for us represents and symbolizes and reminds us of the fact that as time is passing, our life is passing. That, that time is slowly ticking us down to a time when we will no longer look towards this life. King Hezekiah, that great king of the Old Testament, he had this to say in, in Isaiah chapter 38. He said, I cry out until morning, like the lion he shatters my bones, you turn day into night and end my life. Like a swallow or a thrush, I chirp. I coo like a dove, my eyes grow tired from looking up to the sky. Oh Lord, I am oppressed, help me. Hezekiah is grappling with time. He's grappling with the reality that as time continues to tick, his life is shortening every single moment. And it leads into this terrible, terrible existential crisis of looking around and recognizing that time is death. And death is frightening. Time is our enemy because, number two, it brings us the reality of uncertainty. We don't know what the future will hold. We don't know what tomorrow has. We don't know what is going to take place a day from now, a week from now, a year from now. And the passing of time is filled with all kinds of uncertainty. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Divide your merchandise among seven or eight investments. Here it is. You do not know what calamity might happen on earth. You don't know what might happen. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And because of it, time can become an enemy. Time is an enemy because it brings uncertainty. Number three, time is an enemy because it makes us desperate. Time is an enemy because it makes us desperate. I remember Mr. Wormuth was the social studies teacher in our high school, and he had a saying. He would walk around the class, and he would go... Children, time is passing, are you? 
That was always his thing to us. And, and it led to this sense of desperation like, oh my goodness, with every moment that passes, I have to be doing something. I have to be busy. I have to be productive. I have to be effective. I have to be efficient because time is passing. Time is moving. I've got to accomplish. I've got to accomplish. I've got to do. Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells a parable about a man like that. The land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop, and he thought to myself, what should I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my grain, and I will good. You see what he's doing? He's saying, I've got to do something, do something, produce. I've got to be effective. I've got to be, I'm, I'm desperate with the reality that every tick of the clock is something in my mind saying, I've got to be busy accomplishing and it leads us to desperation. Finally, depression. The passing of time can make things seem really worthless. The passing of time can lead us to a very depressed state. As we reflect on the realities of how does it matter, time passes a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, will today matter? A hundred years from now, will I matter? Will I be remembered? Will there be anything good that comes from this time that I spend? And it means that all too often it leaves us just feeling really down and depressed and dismal. Job says this in the midst of his heartbreak, Are not my days few? Leave me alone. Leave me alone that I might find a little comfort before I depart, never to return to the land of darkness, to the land of deepest shadow, to the land of utter darkness, to the land of deepest darkness, in the deepest shadow and disorder where even the light is like dark. It's just sad. Time focuses us on so many things, like uncertainty and death and depression and desperation, that it is universally our enemy. This week I saw somebody post on Facebook a, a note that I thought was just, first of all, hilarious, and second of all, so relatable, because how many times have I said that? It said, all of adulthood is going, next week will slow down, over and over and over until you die. And I thought to myself, how many times have I said, next week things will slow down, and guess what? They don't. The passing of time is a relentless thing. You know, at this point, I've led us all to the brink of despair and desperation as I've thought, yes, indeed, it's true. All those things are true. Jeff, as the time ticks, it does make me more sad and more uncertain and more insecure. But the beauty of this is God's going to show us in this lesson today how he is a victor over that great enemy. In the same way that God is the great victor over sin, as we memorialized and remembered so beautifully right here around the table as, as, as Jesse led us through these thoughts about how it is that Christ's sacrifice freed us from sin, freed us from death. No longer do we have to live in constant fear of death because Jesus has promised us through his sacrifice that our life is an eternal one with him. No longer do we have to worry about, be plagued with this thought of separation from God because of sin, because of Jesus' victory. God is the great defeater of the great enemies of humanity. And let me tell you this morning that God is the great defeater of the enemy of time. He's going to give us a way to refocus our whole perspective of time. And he's going to do it through the man Abraham. He's going to do it through a story that we have about this great patriarch of the Old Testament. When last we left Abraham, I love to be able to do that. When last we left Abraham, he was called from a place that he knew. 
a place of wealth, a place of prosperity, a place of safety, a place of family, a place of security. And God came to him and said, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave all the people you know. I want you to leave all the people you love. And I want you to travel out into the wilderness to a place that I will show you. And last week we talked about how he resolutely stepped forward in this promise. Boldly with faith. Not knowing where he was going. Not knowing anything except that it wasn't going to be easy. But still taking the steps forward as God called it. Into that we add the additional promise that was made in the scripture readings that we've heard this morning. He was told, you're going to be the father of many people. In fact, so great as you, I'm going to rename you. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have children like the stars in the sky. Pretty big news to a man who's already beginning to get old and who yet doesn't have even a single child. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give a son to you in your old age, a son to your wife in her old age, and that son is going to become the progeny through which I'm going to bless all the nations of the entire world for all time. But that was a long time ago. God made that promise a long time long time ago not a year ago not two years ago not five years ago not ten years ago not we're talking decades ago and Abraham is going you know what God time is ticking you made a promise to me God and time is ticking time is a great enemy a great enemy of the promises that God makes the Lord came to Abraham in Genesis 18, sorry, Genesis 15. And Abraham, in response to this promise that has been yet unfulfilled, these decades that he's been waiting, you said I was going to have a son, God, I don't have a son. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. He says in 15, O sovereign Lord, what will you do? I continue to be childless. My heir is Eleazar of Damascus. Abraham added, since you've not given me a, listen to that, since you've not given me a descendant, then look, one born in my house will be my heir. Abraham says, look, look here, God, you made me a promise of a kid. And here I am all these years later and I still don't have a kid. And as it stands right now, God, the heir of my family is going to be a servant boy who's raised in my household. I don't even have a kid to give my heirship to. I don't have a kid to give an inheritance to. Because you, God, have not come through. Three things I want us to notice about this exchange. Not expecting a child right now. I Not expecting a child right now. I doubt that this is going to come true, God. You said you were going to do it, but you haven't done it. And so now I'm filled with doubt. And the third, delay. Delay. Do, doubt, delay. He said... Abraham said, since you have not yet given me a descendant. He said, it, it still hasn't happened. Look how long you've waited, God. He said, look how long you've waited. You missed the window. There was an opportunity. There was a time that it could have. There was a time it could have happened, but the window has closed. The opportunity is over. Now, you ever feel that way? You ever ask the questions like, God, what are you going to do? I don't know that you're going to do anything or that you're going to do what you promised and you've waited so long that I worry the window is past. 
I just want you to envision for a second that you have the audacity to go and stand before Almighty God and to make that statement. That you have the audacity of some promise that God has made to you to say, God, you haven't done what you said. And God, I don't think you're going to. And God, you waited too long. But that's exactly what Abraham did. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what my responses would be. My responses would be angry responses. My responses would be impatient responses. My responses would be, well, to flame Abram. But that's not what God says at all. There's no anger. There's no frustration. Instead, there's understanding. And there's compassion. God answers him. This man, speaking of Eleazar, will not be your heir. But instead, a son who comes from your own body will be your heir. The Lord took him outside and said, gaze into the sky, count the stars if you're able to. And he said to them, so will your descendants be. God, God says, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. The window hasn't closed. I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do. You can put away the doubt. Because even though there's been a delay, I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do. Look at the stars. Every night when you go out and you look at the stars, Abraham, you're going to be reminded of a promise that I made to you, and that promise is resolute, that promise is true, and I'm going to come through with it. One of the most beautiful statements in this whole passage comes in this. So Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it as righteousness to him. He's waited for decades. He said, God, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. God says, I'm going to. Look at the stars and know that I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. And it says, Abram believed the Lord. Why did he believe the Lord? Was his faith strong because he suddenly had all the answers? Was his faith strong because he suddenly understood exactly what God was doing? Was his faith strong because he suddenly had no doubt whatsoever? No, in fact, two verses later, it says he's continued to have doubts. Why is it that he, can, that he suddenly had this great resolution of faith? His faith was strong because he decided it was better off to stick with God than to not stick with God. And even though he couldn't see how God was going to do it, and even though he still had doubt, and even though he knew that there was a serious delay in the promise coming true, he was confident that God was going to keep his word. But you see, the funny thing about this is when you have a baby being born, you don't have just the father involved, you have the mother as well. And in the same way that Abraham was filled with do, are you going to do it, God? Doubt, I don't think you're going to do it, God. Delay, you should have done it by now, God. Sarah was in the same boat. Genesis chapter 18. Where is Sarah, your wife? Abram replied, there in the tent. One of them said, I will return to you when the season comes round again, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, not far behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old, advancing in years, and Sarah had long since passed menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, after I'm worn out, I'll have pleasure, especially when my husband is old too. And the Lord said to Abram, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? I will return to you when the season comes round again and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah lied saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid. But the Lord said, no, no, you did. You did laugh. 
You know, this is the same exact pattern that Abram had. Do. Do. You promised me a child, but you haven't done it. So will I really have a child? Besides that, doubt. This is not the right time for this to happen. I don't think this is even possible. Delay. God, you had an opportunity. You could have done this. But now I'm long past menopause, and it's not going to happen anymore. In fact, she says, I am worn out. What a picturesque way to refer to her age. You see, in all of these situations, that's exactly what we have. Is God going to do what he says? I'm filled with doubt, and I worry that he's missed his window, and the delay is too great. Let's conclude with this. The answer that came from God is a new way for us to look at time. The answer that came to God from Ab to Abraham from God gives us a new way to look at time. Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would and did for, listen to this, and did for Sarah what he had promised. So Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the appointed time. Abraham named his son who Sarah bore to him Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him just as God had commanded him to do. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. So she went on to say, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have given birth to him a son in his old age. Years of waiting. Years of doubt. Years of frustration, yet at the exact right moment, God delivers on his promise. You know, when you think about the way this lays out, how many nights must these two have wondered if God was going to show up in his promise? How much doubt they must have had. How much they must have seen that delay. But let's look at how we can refocus on time ourselves today. And learn from their lesson. First of all, do. God did what he said he would do. The Bible says, The Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would. And did for Sarah just what he promised to do. Here's the good news. No promise goes unfulfilled by God. No promise goes unfulfilled by God. God has made specific promises to us, and those promises are promises that he says will never go unfulfilled. In John 10, 10, he says, you have the promise of an abundant life, and that is a promise that will not go unfulfilled. He tells us that we have, Philippians 4, 7, the opportunity to live a life that is, that is filled with a peace that the world cannot understand, and that is a promise that is resolute for us. We look at situations like John 15, 11, where Jesus says, my joy is in you and your joy is complete. He gives us the opportunity, a promise of a joyful life. Let me stop and ask, are you living an abundant, peaceful, joyful life? God's promised that. Now, I'm not talking about wealthy and famous and status, but I'm talking about truly abundant, truly peaceful, and truly joyful. And so many of us look at that and say, God, you haven't done what you said you're going to do. I doubt you ever will. And I think you've waited too long. You know, the promise is the promise, and the promise is unbroken. 
And the thing I want us to remember from this lesson is that when God says he will do it, he is going to do it, and it's a promise that you and I can count on. I, I don't know what promises you think on. I, I, I believe absolutely that one of the greatest strengths of the Christian life is to have promises that are specifically meaningful to you that you reflect on regularly. I'll tell you one of mine. I probably eight, ten times a day reflect to myself a promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. A hard time comes, a challenge, a worry, a concern, something rises up within me, a fear, an uncertainty. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I'm not sure about this situation. And I remember this. Despite all that, God said, I will never leave you. A moment ago, we heard in prayer, so beautiful, just a beautiful prayer, about how God will wipe away every tear. You know, it doesn't say that God will keep us from ever having tears. But he says, I'm going to wipe them away. God doesn't say, I'm not going to give you any kind of difficulties in your life. But he says, you know what? You're never going to have to go through it alone. That's a promise that you can take to the bank and resolutely believe in. I hope you have promises in your life that you remember, reflect on, and think about. Do. He's going to do what he said he'll do. Second doubt. Sarah laughed. Sarah was so filled with doubt that it was funny to her. What a crazy thought, God. That is hilarious. And God turned that doubt into laughter of joy. And she said, I laughed and everyone will laugh with me. She even named Isaac laughter. So that every time she called his name, Isaac, she's reminded, oh, isn't that funny? Isn't it funny what God did? God wants to take your doubt the times that you laugh at the possibility that it could ever be and turn that into a joyful laughter that reminds you every day of what he's already done for you. Do, doubt, delay. We don't like to think about it, but do you ever think that sometimes God's delay is for a good reason? Let me just share with you real quickly something. What if God would have given Abraham a child in Genesis 12? Well, he would have had to carry a newborn infant through a war. What about Genesis 13? Well, he would have had to carry newborn Isaac through another war trying to settle a new home. Well, what about Genesis 14? Well, here things get even worse because not only is Abraham fighting another tribe, he's fighting four kingdoms. Well, what about 17 or 18? That was Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the famine. That was the flight down to Egypt. What about Genesis 20? Well, that was when Sarah got kidnapped by the king of Gerar. When would have been a good time? The time that God appointed. That was the right time. Sometimes when we're in the middle of a delay, it's important for us to look at it and go, you know what, this may be exactly what God is doing because he knows the time better than I do. In that promise, it says, in the appointed time, Isaac came. You know what, the promise that he has for you is a promise that has a right timetable on it. And it may not necessarily look like the right timetable to you. It may not necessarily feel like the right timetable to me. But the timing of God is a perfect timing. Do. He said he's going to do it. Take it to the bank. It's a promise you can count on. Doubt. The things right now that you laugh at, even being possibilities, might be things in the future that you laugh with God that he brought about. And delay. It could very well be that you're waiting on something because the right appointed time hasn't come. And even though it seems like the right time to you, God knows better. 
those three D's really do sum up exactly where I think we can learn some new ways to think about time. And I'd like to challenge you this week to really put that into practice and think about time through the, the lens of these three things. When you find yourself struggling with time, when you feel that desperation, you feel that I, I'm being bound by it, I'm, I'm being afflicted by it, and I'm being oppressed by time, remember, what's a promise that God said he would do? A promise that speaks to you and resonates with your soul. And reflect on it, because you can count on it. What about doubt? What are the things in your life right now that you think are, are out of reach, that you don't know that it'll ever happen, that you, you don't believe that that could ever come to be? And think about how powerful it's going to be when God brings that into your life and allows you to feel the joy that comes from it. Things you laugh at now that you will laugh with God about later and delay. I challenge you to think seriously about the possibility that what you think is the right time and I think of the right time, God knows best. We were in an elders meeting two weeks ago and we were talking about a passage of scripture and an idea that we just grappled with and grappled with and we studied all kinds of different texts and at the end of it, you know, we just said, this is, this is really hard. And somebody said, let's look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there are secrets the Lord your God has not revealed, but these words that he has revealed are for us and for our children to obey forever. God doesn't tell us that he's going to give us the secret to every single question and answer. He doesn't unveil for us every single mystery that we want to know the answer to. There are things that are hid. And the delay may not be something we understand at the moment. But what we do know is God. We know that he's good. And we know that he has our best at heart. So can we trust him in that? Abraham believed God. And the Lord credited it as righteous. My friends, that's the goal. To be able to believe in God. And to have the Lord credit that as righteousness. You know, in these particular situations, there's one criteria that I need to make sure that you're clear on from the onset. This do, doubt, and delay, change of perspective, is available to everybody. But not everybody will benefit from it. Because every single one of these requires a relationship with God that enables those promises to flow into our life. The relationship made possible by Jesus. And a relationship that opens to us the possibilities of heaven. This morning, I want you to have the opportunity to see time in a new way. But the first step in seeing time in a new way is to experience life in a new way. A new life. A life that is new and renewed and cleansed from the past sin. This morning, if you've never started your life new with Jesus Christ, if you've never known him as Savior, had your sins forgiven and come in and out of the waters of baptism, then time is oppressive. But this morning, if you have come through that water of baptism, time is on your side. Because the one who holds time holds you in his hand. This morning, if we can help you in any way in your walk with Jesus Christ, we want you to make that known. Our leaders are in the back of this room at the conclusion of this lesson, this sermon, and this worship. And we hope you'll meet with us and allow us to be of help.